Hey everybody, Happy New Year. It's Sunday, January 5th, 2014. The American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow once said, A single conversation across the table with the wise man is better than 10 years of mere study with books. And that's what this episode is about with author and entrepreneur Mark Manson, where he writes over at markmanson.net about self-development, culture, and psychology. I got him on the show because the level of understanding he has on people at a very deep psychological level is just fascinating. And if you read his blog, you'll learn things about yourself that uh, you really never knew. And so, for example, uh, with a personal story, uh, growing up in high school uh, with your typical academic curriculum, I had to read books like, you know, Scarlet Letter, uh, Shakespeare, Mark Twain, other forms of literature that I really didn't appreciate. And as I got into college, you know, you kind of, I kind of looked down at this stuff that was like very hippy dippy, like literature, English, like who would major in this? Like, why would you do that? And then I always thought that they were from the past. They bore no resemblance to kind of our modern age. I know after all, I was an econ major. Everything was about the numbers, curves, data, trends, you know, left side of the brain triumphs. You know, it was all about gung-ho business, uh, making money once you graduate. And, you know, up until this point, I lived a very reactionary life. You know, like the typical life scripts, as you hear me say, do A, you get B, uh, apply to a job, work, go home, sleep, the usual routine that a lot of people are probably in. And so it wasn't until early 2012, as I found more podcasts, uh, blogs, and videos about entrepreneurship that I thought to myself, you know, is this for real? Am I really gonna leave everything behind? And for a moment, it was kind of like in the scene in The Matrix when Morpheus talks to Neo. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. On paper, it sounds like a great idea, right? To quit your job, work for yourself, travel, you know, have financial independence. But it's another thing to really say, all right, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, screw everything else. And I'm going to leave it all behind to start over uh, from a clean state. And, and I think most people... They like the idea of being an entrepreneur and they never get to this stage because it requires a certain level of self-awareness, of delusion, uh, dealing with uncertainty, being comfortable with it, to really challenge your perspectives on reality, to be honest with yourself. Because the first thing you realize is that you have to take responsibility before you can take action in the sense that, you know what, this is my life, I'm gonna do what I want and uh, it's up to me to make things happen. And I think it's a lot easier to just be reactionary like I was when I was younger a couple of years ago, just to blame circumstances. You know, I don't have enough time, you know, I don't have enough money, you know, you know I don't have a good idea, I'm not sure if this is gonna work, uh, what if I fail? And that's what this episode is about with Mark Manson, is about taking a very objective view at ourselves uh, looking at some of the limiting beliefs that hold us back, even after you quit your job, you know, things like fears, uh, insecurities, need for validation, social pressure. Uh, we also talk about healthy ways to deal with them in this episode. After all, it is a new beginning, a new year. So I think it's also time for a new state of mind. And also this podcast has a new intro now. I threw away the cheesy voiceover, guys. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy this and let's get started. Don't deliver a product, deliver an experience. You're listening to the Build My Online Store podcast, and I'm your host, Terry Lin. We're here to talk about running an online store and building a strong e-commerce brand to take your online store to the next level. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com. Let's get on with the show. All right, so listeners, welcome to the show. Today, I've got Mark Manson from markmanson.net, where he writes about self-development through a deep understanding of psychology and culture. And so I've been following for a couple of years. One thing I realized is that he probably knows 
people better than they know themselves. And so we're both members of a forum called Dharmite Circle. So Mark, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Terry. It's good to be here. Right, so for the listeners who may not know who you are, how did you get started with this whole blogging thing about self-development? So I, I started in 2007. I, I actually started with uh, some info products some membership sites. I was involved in a few different niches, primarily doing direct sales. I never did uh, the e-commerce thing, but a similar type of timeline trajectory. You know, it's put a lot of time and effort in up front. Sometimes you don't see returns, but the goal is to generate a lot of passive income. Initially, I was just blogging as a form of marketing to sell some of my products and, and push some of my sites. As the years went on, I realized that I really, really liked it. And then I started to realize that it started to reach the point where the only reason people bought from me was because they read my blog. The sales pages and the, the advertising and all that stuff kind of stopped being as important. So at some point um, around 2011, I just decided to take a leap. I closed up shop on all my other businesses and projects and said, you know what, Like I love writing. This is what I care about. And I'm going to make a go at being a professional blogger. And so that's kind of led me to where I am today. And I understand you know, really early on, you wanted to kind of be an investment banker too, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what's the story behind that? Uh, yeah, so when I was in, when I was in university, uh, that was kind of, that was my big thing. I, I was getting, I was majoring in business and you know, I've always been good at math and numbers and I played a lot of poker and it just seemed reasonable at the time. You know, hey, I should get into finance. I got a job out of, college after graduation and it was literally like two hours into the job I was like I hate this <laughs> I don't want to do this this was right at around the same time I was starting my business it, it's funny actually because and I know we're going to talk about this but I might as well say it you know I, I was lucky that I had already kind of started my online business a little bit around when I graduated and uh, I had a couple of like very early successes and so my perception of how easy it was going to be I thought it was going to be 10 times easier than it, than it actually was because <laughs> I was like oh look I already made like a thousand dollars this is going to be easy so I actually put in my two weeks notice. Uh, I only I've had I've held a quote unquote real job for only about four or six weeks in my life, and uh, so I took the job. I realized I hated it. I was like, you know what, this online thing's going to be easy. I'm going to do that. So I quit after the first month, and um, I was totally wrong about how easy it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you spent your college years, you know, four or five years after graduation, trying to get this you know, coveted investment banking job? Because a lot of people still do this, and even I kind of fell into this myself, too. And so, you know, when did you realize that you were lying to yourself after you quit? Because like, kind of like when, in my situation was that I realized, you know, when I got the job, it wasn't really what I wanted to do, but rather than people saying, oh, you know, you're at this big company, and kind of like my parents were more proud of it, too, in some ways. I, I don't know. I You know, sometimes you do things in life that you just know is wrong. <laughs> And I just remember sitting because we went through like a two week training and I remember sitting there on the first day of training and I was, my supervisor was like showing me the computer systems and how to use Bloomberg and all this stuff. I just remember sitting there and thinking like, 
this is awful. <laughs> this is absolutely awful. And so, yeah, it was day one. It was immediately. I mean, it, like I said, I showed up for work at like 8.30 and by 10.30, I was like, when can I get out of here? In hindsight, I lucked out and then I had a couple early wins. So when I was in that situation, I already felt like I had an alternative, like a reasonable alternative. I know it's a, it's a lot different in, in other people's families. I never had a ton of pressure. My, my father's an entrepreneur. So I never had a ton of pressure to do the whole corporate thing or get a nice salary or whatever. Um, you know, I, I didn't have tons of debt and I had just gotten out of school. So I was used to being broke. So I, I didn't really mind <laughs> being broke. You know, it's like I had youth on my side. I, um, a lot of these kind of these barriers that hold a lot of people back. Um, I was very fortunate in that I, I kind of started out without those. Yeah, awesome. And so we're, we're talking about breaking barriers. So you've been in this kind of blogging online business since 2007. So you're coming up to like what your sixth, seventh year now. So you've obviously seen probably hundreds, if not thousands, of people uh, dealing with mindset issues. Not maybe just in you know people you meet in real life. Maybe stuff you're writing about on your blog. So today uh, we're talking about seven common mindset issues that hold people back. And so uh, let's just go off the list. And so uh, number one, I had uh, you know if I make more money, if I you know get a girlfriend. If I get a car, then life would be amazing. So why is this one BS? <laughs> <laughs> this one is BS because money doesn't fix problems. It just upgrades your problems. And, and I think w what gets people into trouble is with this mindset is they, they assume like, oh, if I made $100,000 a year, life would be great. I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Or if I made a million dollars a year, life would be great. I wouldn't have to worry about anything. This does two things. One, it, it creates a lot of expectation. And when we create a lot of expectation for ourselves, it creates a lot of anxiety because it puts a lot of pressure on ourselves. So if we have this idea that like, man, if I just start my own business and make a ton of money, then everything's going to be perfect for the rest of my life. That's a lot of pressure to live up to. And that just makes it that much harder to get started. And then secondly, is if we do actually start getting some of those wins and, and start making some of that money, and we realize that, hey, I still have problems and life's not perfect, yet my problems are a little bit better than the problems I used to have, but I still have problems and life is still stressful. You know, we just get really disappointed. It's a huge letdown and, and demotivator. So what I encourage people to, to think or kind of to approach this is that money's great, but you know, life is always going to be complicated and money, making money is great, but look at money as a tool to upgrade your problems rather than to solve your problems. You know, rich people have problems that you and I can't even imagine, but they're better problems than say unemployed homeless people have. It's just being a little bit realistic about the goals and, and not putting so much pressure and expectation on oneself to make our life perfect or, or to solve everything because nothing is ever perfect and nothing ever gets completely solved. It's just simply, where are your values? What do you care about? What problems would you like to have? And then pursuing those. Gotcha. And do you find this applicable to say, because a lot of people think, you know, I want to quit my job, make a thousand bucks, live in Southeast Asia. But then, you know, certainly we know people that are doing this, but then they're living this life and then suddenly they're kind of just in limbo and, do you see this a lot too? Yeah, it, it's actually, I have an article on my site called um, Some Dreams Should Not Be Pursued. It, it's that old saying, it's like, be careful what you wish for, you just might get it. And it, it's just the fact that our dreams are idealized. It, it comes back to the problems don't get solved, they just get upgraded. So the example you used is a really great example. And you and I, you and I know a bunch of people like this who quit their job, start their business, move out to Thailand, start living off, you know, six, $700 a month. It goes great for like six months. 
they're making some headway, but they, they hit like the one year point. They're like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> like, I can't, I don't speak the language. Nobody understands me. It's polluted as hell. Getting sick of eating street food. You know, there's all these new problems and challenges that they confront about the lifestyle that, that they never anticipated before. You know, they were so miserable in their day job that, that they hadn't even considered the problems that might exist you know, if they drop themselves in the middle of Asia. So it's important, again, it's important not to idealize these goals as somehow fixing everything. I, I think it's important to be realistic and just realize that you're choosing a different path. You're prioritizing certain values in your life. For instance, being independent, experiencing a new culture, having novel experiences, you're prioritizing that over the stability and certainty that comes with a day job. Yeah. And so when you talk about upgrading your problems, you know, you've been at this game for six or seven years, you're doing very, very well now, you know, you lived in Brazil, all over the place. So, you know, if we take it to your example, what are some problems you're dealing with now, kind of on a different level that you're, you can take in a thesis at? Here's a high quality problem that I've been having the last few days. I had, not only did I have one article go viral, that article going viral had caused like two other articles to go viral. So it was like an echo of virality. So I, I've just been getting slaughtered with traffic the past three days. And Which articles were these? Six toxic relationship habits that most people think are normal. That was the big one that went viral. It kind of caused an echo with a couple others. One's called the most important question of your life. It's an awesome problem to have, but like I'm on my, my site is crashing constantly. I'm on the phone with my host. They're saying like, look, like I'm already paying my host like $1,500 per month. And they're like, look, we can't really give you any more server space. <laughs> like <laughs> you need to optimize the scripts on your site. And so I'm talking to my tech guy and he's like, look, I've optimized everything, but there's a lot of stuff that I'm probably not aware of. And so I'm like, I actually am probably going to hunt or I'm probably going to hire a, a guy off the DC to do further optimization. Five years ago, I would have killed to have 100,000 people show up on my website. I mean, it's a huge game changer. Now that I get that, it's awesome. But now it's like I'm dropping tons of money and having to hire a bunch of people to keep my website running to manage that 100,000 visitors coming in each day. That introduces all sorts of problems with like, management, hiring, am I spending too much money? You know, am I going to screw my site up in another way uh, by like optimizing some script and now suddenly like things get more complicated. You know, there's that old Notorious B.I.G. song, Mo Money, Mo Problems. Um, it's like, they're certainly much better problems. You know, in 2007, I was living on a friend's couch. I would work weeks at a time on a project that would make zero dollars. So my problems right now are much, much better, but I still wake up stressed out. I still wake up sometimes not knowing what the hell to do. The, the emotions don't change. It's much better problems to have. So how would you advise people to deal with this kind of constant state of dissatisfaction or getting into new situations and finding a new problems? Well, there are a lot of kind of internal things, and it's going to be a little bit different for each individual person. I, I find that forcing yourself to appreciate the good reasons why bad things are happening. In my example, and I'm sure there's probably tons of people out there that think I sound like an asshole because I'm complaining that I have 100,000 visitors coming to my site. Like, like, but that's what starts to happen is like when your problems get better, you like feel like kind of a prick for complaining about them. So it's important to stop and remember and appreciate the problem that you're confronted with. So people right now who may be struggling with the idea of like, do I want to quit my career to start up my own business or, or become an entrepreneur? That is an awesome problem to have. If you look at the history, uh, you know, previous generations, the technology that's available today, 
like just the fact that we're having this conversation is an amazing thing. Like your parents, my parents, they could never have this conversation. They could never say like, well, my day job's nice, but I think I want to start like an iPhone app and start selling this, like maybe move to Vietnam or whatever. You have to be in a very blessed and educated and fortunate position to even have that conversation with yourself. That goes a long way, I guess, kind of mitigating the stress and the anxiety and, you know, reminding yourself that, that uh, you know, the world's not caving in and, and collapsing on you. Yeah. Like the more and more I get into this game, I realize that mindset is so much more important than what you're doing day to day over the long run. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I also think it's important to to take kind of um, like a wider perspective. So for instance, you know, when I started my business, uh, it, it was terrifying. And it's terrifying for everybody to quit your job and start start your business. I mean, the, the terror is part of the deal. Like it comes with the package. And you were pretty broke when you started out too. I remember reading your bio. Yeah, um, I had a few thousand dollars saved up. And again, I was a little bit naive and thought that I was going to be fine. And sure enough, six months later, you know, <laughs> I'm like knocking on friends' doors, asking to, to crash on their couch. And, um, but that, that terror is part of the deal. Like that is an expected part of the package. I think it's important for people to kind of take a broader perspective and say like, look, I'm basically taking on a lot of emotional discomfort and psychological stress in the short run for the opportunity to have this great lifestyle or these great opportunities in the future. I mean, when I started out, I, I looked at it and I said, like, if this fails, this could be one or two of the worst years of my life, you know, like just broke constantly, working constantly and have absolutely no payoff and have to go back to a day job with my tail tucked between my legs. But on the other hand, I could look at it and say, look, when I'm 40 or whatever, at least I can look back and say, hey, I made a run at it. I tried it. I know now that it didn't work or it wasn't right for me or it didn't fit my values or it wasn't as good as everybody made it sound to be. I can, I can be assured that I know that for myself. Or I can look back and say, you know what, like the whole entrepreneurial thing, it wasn't for me, but God, I learned so many good lessons about self-reliance and independence and problem solving and thinking for myself that has benefited me in my career ever since then. Yeah, that, that was a similar experience I had a couple of years ago. Like I had a small surgery about, I think it was almost three years ago now. And so when I was in the hospital, it, I shared it with like two other old dudes, right? And so one of them comes in there today. Uh, he has like a small cough. He comes in with his wife and he's, over the day he gets sicker and sicker right? and the nurses come in every hour. And uh, so I think by like the afternoon, uh, like he couldn't breathe anymore. And then they had to bring like this equipment in. And then I, I was, it was the day before I had a surgery, right? So I walked out, I was like, fuck this. I don't want to, you know, be in the room when a guy dies. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, you're covered with the bed. You don't see him, but you can hear him, right? And so when you hear someone, kind of the kind of the, the emotional vibrations bounce off to you. And so I just freaked out. And then when I came back later after dinner, you know, I just chilled out somewhere else for two hours. I was like, man, like, why was I scared? And I thought about, you know, kind of like my life a little bit. I was like, man, you know, if I'm in his position, you know, 60, you know, 50 years from now, you know, knock on wood, right? Uh, you know, would I be happy with the life I lived? And if no, like, why not change it now? And that was kind of like the big breaking point for me. And it seems like a lot of people go through this phase where they realize, hey, you know, I might as well do this now because if I don't, you know, I've, well, what's the point? Right, right. And it's, um, you know, it comes back to the, the famous Steve Jobs speech, you know, where he, would, he said that he constantly thought about his own death. And like, you know, if I died, what would that mean? What would my life mean today? Um, you know, that's really heavy and philosophical, but like experiences like yours 
force us to think about that. And, and it's really powerful stuff. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So let's go off to a couple points. Otherwise, we'll be here for the whole day. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two, a lot of people say, I don't have enough time. You just don't understand. So what's the deal with this one? This one's pretty simple. The I don't have enough time is, is bullshit. What it means is I have other priorities. We all have enough time. We all have the same amount of time. It's just some of us choose to use it differently than others. You tend to hear this in regards to, you know, say other obligations. So like, uh, I have a two hour commute from work every day, or I have, uh, I have kids, or I have a, a girlfriend, or whatever. It, it's always something. And that's fine. Like, like I, I have no problem with that. I'm not saying to, to people like, don't take care of your kids. Like, you know, <laughs> don't go to work. It's just that you need to realize that it's not an issue of time. It's an issue of priority. You don't have time because you're prioritizing other things more than, you know, say starting a business or working on your own project or writing a book or whatever it is. And that says something. I would love to learn Mandarin, but I never learn it. And, and I could sit here and be like, oh man, I don't have enough time. I've got to work on my blog all the time. And I've got all these meetings and I have to do a call with Terry. But it's just simple that I, I don't prioritize it as high as those other things. As much as it feels good to complain about it and be like, oh, I'm such a victim. There's not enough time in the day because there's just so many obligations. It's no, it's, I don't care enough. And I, I tell people, I'm like, if there's something in your life that you've been saying that you're going to do for years and years and years and you don't do it, you need to take a really hard, honest look at yourself and say like, is this actually a priority? Like, do I actually want to do this or do I just like the idea of wanting to do it? Do I actually want to be an entrepreneur or do I like thinking about being an entrepreneur? Do I like telling people that I'm going to start my own business? In a lot of cases, that's, the, that's what's true. It's, it's we like the idea of doing it. I like the idea of being able to speak Mandarin, but obviously I'm not doing it. So it, 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 it's not an issue of time. It's simply an issue of priority. Yeah. One thing I found is that when you go to like these networking entrepreneur events, a lot of these, like 90% of these guys are just people like talking about stuff and you're like, are you actually doing anything? He's like, no, I'm just, you know, <laughs> just still looking online, doing research. And you're like, so like, I realized that these events, like, you know, if you're going to a networking event, 90% of the people that go probably aren't the people you want to network with either. So yeah. it's like, it's like how what, everyone wants to be the Instagram that sells for a billion, but no one wants to spend you know, like two years coding, you know, three hours a day learning how Ruby works or whatever it's built on. Yeah. I remember there was a great interview of um, Dustin Moskovitz, who is the co-founder of Facebook. They were basically asking him, how did the overnight success of Facebook feel? Like, what was it like? And his answer was awesome. He was like, well, I know it appeared to be an overnight success to you guys, to the media, but for me and Mark, it was basically... All I remember is staying up till four in the morning coding every night for six years straight. That was my overnight success, <laughs> you know? And so it's a lot of times we see the end result of things and we don't realize the amount of time and effort and investment that went into it leading up to it. And we, we don't want to do the dirty work. Yeah. So going back to your example, you were saying how uh, earlier, you know, three of your articles went viral, like I saw it on Huffington Post over all these sites. And when you look back at what you've done since 2007 and the investment of time of, say, six, seven years, I mean, how are you taking that now that you can look back with all your success now? Well, that, that's the funny thing is I'm starting to experience that too. So I, I, I get emails all the time from people saying like, your blog's amazing. Uh, I wish I could have a blog like that. Like, how did you know what to do? 
Like, how did you get it right so quickly? I've even had people say things like, oh, you're really lucky. You already were making money online. And so you could just focus on blood. Like, that's the thing that drives me crazy the most is when people tell me I'm lucky because it's, I spent the majority of 2007, 2008, 2009, living month to month, sleeping on couches, living with my girlfriends, living with my mom, constantly broke. You know, I used to work for months at a time on a project and I'd launch the project and I'd make like $20. All of those failures that it's an iterative process, you know, all of that time that I invested in all those failures and being broke and not making money in those 12, 16 hour days, that created where I am now, like what I am now. I needed those five, six years of just screwing up and writing blog posts that nobody read and writing articles that people made fun of and being read by 10 people. That's a necessary part of it. But like MJ DeMarco says it the best, right? It's like the process for his event where the event is now you kind of going viral, but the process was the past six, seven years, like you said, writing blog posts with only 10 people seeing it. Exactly. There's, um, I saw a great little story recently on Facebook. Apparently there's a little story of Picasso was um, like in a cafe and when he was waiting for his, his food or whatever, he was like doodling on a napkin. And he finished his doodle and the woman at the table next to him leaned over and said, hey, can I buy that napkin from you? And he said, sure. And she said, how much? And he said, $20,000. And she was like, what? It took you five minutes to doodle that. It's a napkin in a cafe, like $20,000. And he's like, no, ma'am, it didn't take me five minutes to doodle it. It took me in a lifetime. That's it right there. It's like you are, everything you do now is a summation of everything you've done throughout your life. And so everything contributes, even the failures and, and writing thousands and thousands of words that nobody's ever read, you know, that all contributes to my success today. Yeah, it's like you can only connect the dots looking backwards, like as, like Mr. Jobs said, which kind of brings me to my next point. I get all these emails, like, yeah, I got like 10 ideas to do e-commerce, but I just can't find the right one. Can you help me? I'm like, dude, really? The, the quote unquote right idea is built. It's not come up with. I think that's the biggest misconception here. And I'm sure you've been through this conversation with hundreds of people at this point too. And this comes back to the whole event versus process thing or the Facebook story. People don't see that Facebook was an evolution. The idea of what Facebook is today was not what the idea of what Facebook was when it started. My business is, looks nothing like the idea that I started with. So the quote unquote right idea is something that you evolve towards, towards working on it constantly. It's built like a structure. It's not just, it doesn't just fall out of the sky and you're like, oh, sweet, now I'm a millionaire. Yeah. So if we go to your example, like your kind of writing now is kind of what you embody and kind of like the self-development topics you write about. But what was it like, what, would you, what did you start out with originally at first and how did it change into this over the years? My blog in 2007, my blog was basically uh, dumb stories about me getting drunk and chasing girls. Kind of like a Tucker Max type of style thing? Or? Yeah, kind of. Um, with a little bit of like kind of more thoughtful, philosophical stuff thrown in. But it was still, it was very crude, very braggadocio, like just, just kind of like thumping my chest. The reason I started it was because my friends wanted me to start it. You know, I would come home a Saturday night or like I would hang out with them on Sunday. I'd be like, you never believe what I did last night. And they're like, dude, you got to start a blog. You got to write some of this stuff down. And I never expected it to go beyond that. You know, I still thought I was going to get a day job in finance and it just slowly evolved from that. You know, so those stories, it started out as those stories. And then I realized that people started coming to me for advice. So I started giving advice about advice about girls or social skills or whatever. It got to the point where there were more people asking me for advice than I really cared to deal with. My roommate was like, dude, charge him money. Started charging him money. Um, and that was some of the early wins that I had. 
you know, a few months went by. I read Four Hour Work Week, and I was like, "Hey, I could turn this into like a dating advice business." And um, it, that's where it all started. Yeah. So, when did you make the point from say giving like dating advice to become like general self development? Because that was a really big shift. I think you made just for the whole kind of business model you were doing. Right. It, that was 2011. There were a number of reasons for that. I think one was, I mean, there was the business reason for that, which was I felt like I kind of hit my ceiling, particularly men's dating advice. And it, it, the men's dating advice niche is, it's still a little bit weird and a little bit sleazy. There's a lot of noise. So part of it was I kind of wanted to expand beyond that. You know, it, it was really cool to write about chasing girls and dating when I was like 25. By the time I was like 28, I don't want to be 35 and still writing about this. So I, I need to find something else that I can care about or focus on. So that was part of it. And then the other part was simply that I, I had reached the point that, you know, it's guys would come to me to be like, oh, I met this girl. I don't, you know, when should I call her? What should I text her? What does this mean? Went on a date with her, tried to kiss her, blah, blah, blah. And I started to realize that this stuff, it, it's, not, it's not that they don't have the right thing to text her or that they don't have the right date to go on. It, it's that they've got emotional problems. They've got self-esteem issues. They've got anxiety issues. Um, they've got weird beliefs about women or weird beliefs about sex. And so those topics became much more interesting to me. And that's when it was 2011 said, you know what, like this, why am I just talking about dating? This stuff affects other parts of life. Like if you're anxious around people, if you're anxious expressing yourself, that doesn't just affect your dates, that affects your job, that affects your social life, you know, all these other things. So, so what was the fear like? Because a lot of people say, you know, I have an idea, but if I go into it and it doesn't work, like I've been wasting my time, right? What was that process for you? And, you know, you really had to kind of change your whole audience and your whole following too. Uh, well, that was, it was terrifying. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but I had reached a point emotionally within myself that I was absolutely certain that I did not want to be the dating advice guy. I felt like I had a strong enough platform that I could make that move and that I, I felt like I was a good enough writer that I could make that move. But it was absolutely terrifying. And the thing is, is if it had failed or, you know, I, I would have treated it the same way that I treated other times that I had failed previously, which is it, it's not failure, it's feedback. The market's telling you something. They're either telling you that it's they don't want it or that it's not the right thing that you should be doing or that it should be done differently. You just take that and incorporate it into the next thing you do. You take that feedback and, and improve upon it. Yeah, one thing I realized is that like it's really easy to take stuff personally on the internet, especially when like people are just throwing insults, <laughs> you know, left and right, and it's kind of like a matter of you know mentally separating yourself from this kind of feedback and realize like, hey, you know, maybe there's something I can improve or something, you know, something wrong with my mindset that I should be changing or like, like you said, feedback to kind of change things. So this brings me to my next point where number four, you know, if it doesn't work, people will think I'm stupid. So, you know, this is a big problem that I see people come from, especially like in the corporate world where I think you have a lot of peers around you who have certain expectations, maybe even your parents, society. So, you know, like what's the root issue here with this one? This is a very real concern and insecurity. I mean, there's one component of it, which is just simply how much do you want it, which I think kind of comes back to priority. Do you prioritize being an entrepreneur or starting a business enough to the point where other people's opinions don't matter? But there's another component of it, which is simply a person's ability to deal with criticism or, or with negative feedback. And a lot of people are very poor at that. Like a lot of people, very, very uncomfortable being criticized or um, they're very insecure about being looked down upon or, or something like that. And that's, that's a personal issue to be dealt with as well. 
I mean, all, all I would say to a person is that if you honestly believe that the only reason you're not doing something is because other people will think you're stupid, then you need to find other people <laughs> because, because then it's just not a good reason. You know, if your family and friends love you, they are going to love you no, whether you, you're a failed entrepreneur or not. They're going to love you whether you quit your day job or not. If you really trust the people in your life, then they're going to stick with you through thick or thin. And actually, I've seen in a lot of cases, making this transition to this lifestyle is often a really good filter to see which people in your life, because I don't know about you, Terry, but like when I started going down this path, you know, a lot of my friends, my college friends, they just started kind of dropping off the radar. Oh yeah, 100% agree. I only, I just quit my job like four months ago and the amount of people that I stopped hanging out with literally like 90, 95% of the old crowd, you know, I, I just, not that I don't like them, I just don't connect with them a lot. I don't see yeah. the need to spend my time with them and because, you know, we're not aligned with the same vision in our lives and I'm just like, okay, you know, we'll hang out once in a while but I'm not going to actively you know, waste, not, not waste my time, but spend time I could be using to build a business or anything with them too. So. Yeah, I, I found that when I, when I left my job, I had these friends that I thought were really great friends. And it's not that they were bad people, but I thought we had a great friendships. Then when I quit my job and started going down this path and struggling a lot, I suddenly discovered that, you know what, that friendship itself actually wasn't that strong. What was strong was meeting up after work and complaining about our bosses and how stupid all the paperwork we have to do or whatever. It, once you take that away, there's actually not a whole lot of there. I think that's just a natural progression. And, and, but at the same time, you know, the people who really matter stick with you and uh, they, they root for you. Some of them even think you're crazy, but they still root for you. They're like, I have no idea what you're doing, but that's kind of how my mom was. She was like, I have no clue what you're doing, but hey, you're my kid. I hope it goes well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had some ex-coworkers who were like, I think they're like, you know, I, I you know, wish you well. You know, I know you're a smart guy. I know what you're doing, but you'll figure this out. And, but I think the bigger picture is that when you choose this path, you're saying no to that script that you were with, right? And so a lot of people, I think, find it hard to just throw it away because I think when you're, you know, 24-7, you're with these friends, your family, you're really saying, hey, you know, screw you guys, I'm going to do something new. And I think that's a really hard thing for people to let go. Yeah, it's difficult, for sure. Yeah. And so one point you talked about was dealing with criticism. Some people are really, you know, bad at that. Maybe it's because of some insecurity issues. So, like, where does this insecurity come from that makes it sting so hard when you're getting criticized? It gets into feelings of worthiness. What happens, and I'm going to try to... Try not to give you like the twenty-minute answer. <laughs> yeah, because this is a this is a convoluted topic, <laughs> right? I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on this topic. I mean, basically, what it comes down to is that so validation is very important to us, to everybody, to all human beings. We all need to feel validated. We all need to feel important. We all need to feel like what we're doing matters. And the thing is, though, is that we don't just receive validation from people outside of us. You know, coworkers, friends, family. At some point, we need to to become kind of emotionally healthy and highly functioning, we have to develop an ability to feel proud of ourselves and to validate ourselves and say, you know what, I'm going to do this for me. It doesn't really matter that my friends don't like this. It doesn't really matter that my parents think I'm, I'm crazy, but I want to do this for me. And there's a lot of people who go through life and they never do things for themselves. They never get past that, that phase. And, and I think in a lot of ways, our culture is constructed to encourage people to seek validation from others. You know, the school system, pass or fail based on a teacher that grades you. You're compared to your students and peers. Are you better or worse? Did you make the varsity team or the junior varsity team? 
you know, all, all of these mechanisms throughout our life are constantly telling you to be a good, important, worthy person, you have to meet other people's standards and expectations. That makes for a productive society. It doesn't make for happy people. A very important psychological part of being an entrepreneur is developing the ability to say, this is for me. I'm going to do it for no other reason than it's important for me. And to some people that sounds selfish, but the thing is, is it's your life. Like you're not hurting anybody. You're not going out and stealing from people or dealing drugs. Like if you're doing something constructive for no other reason than you want to do it, that's a very emotionally healthy thing and it should be pursued. And that's a hard thing to develop within ourselves. Yeah. It was just something you mentioned when I was still at my job, I once asked a coworker who's been in the industry for like 10, 15 years. And I asked him, you know, you've been in this business a long time. You, know, you obviously have money, you know, to retire maybe early. And, you know, so what drives you to stay in this job, right? Into the, you know, work like 14, 16 hours a day. And this guy is like, you know, in his 40s, something like that. And he was telling me, you know, it's the respect that I get from other clients and, you know, people in the industry. And I'm like, and now that you think of this, I'm like, wow. So he's basing his whole image of himself on what other people think rather than what he's doing as a craft of, you know, working in a bank, doing what he's actually liking doing. And so. And, and the problem with that too is that it creates emotional instability. So it's like, for instance, if you take that guy, Let's say like an economic downturn hits and that coworker of yours gets laid off. That guy's whole identity and sense of self-worth is just going to crash. He's going to bottom out. Yeah. And you had stories of a couple of bankers who just killed themselves in yeah. 2008, 2009. There were a couple of people on the news. And I think it's just because, like you said, their identity was so wrapped up in what they were doing and all the validation they were getting was from this job. And Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas, like you said, if his identity is invested in the craft in the, the skills and the abilities, and it doesn't matter if he has a job or not, he's still awesome, you know, because he's, he's developed those things for himself. And is it, is it easy for you to tell people that are, like since you've been writing about personal development for so long, to tell people that are really doing it for the craft versus say, seeking validation? I, I think it's pretty easy to spot. So everybody's always seeking external validation. You, you never stop seeking other people's approval. We all like to be approved. We all like to feel important. We all like a client to think that we're, you know, to respect us or whatever. Those things never go away. That never stops feeling good. What changes, I guess, is just the baseline happiness. So it's like, yeah, I like getting a lot of positive attention from my readers, but if I don't, it doesn't ruin my day or it doesn't change how I feel about myself or make me question my, my worthiness or my value. And I, I think it's one of those things that... W- once you develop it, you're able to see it in other people very quickly and easily. Whereas when you don't develop it, it, it everybody kind of looks the same. Yeah, and you kind of just get really jaded, and kind of you get like a jaded perspective on the whole world too. So, yeah, which brings me uh, kind of to my next point. Uh, earlier, you were saying, you know, when you're taking this leap, you need to healthily think, you know, this is for me. So, a lot of people I talk to, like, you know, I'll never be like a Mark Zuckerberg, you know, so why bother? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, so I really, I'm like, so, you know, you'll never make, you know, a million dollars. So I'm just going to stay here, you know, and play victim. So like, like, what's like, what's the issue behind this one? If the only thing that makes doing something worth it is being a millionaire or a billionaire, why do anything? Like that's, that is such a horrible metric of success in life. It reminds me of like, uh, uh, it, like little kids who, if they can't, be the best at a game they just refuse to play imagine if everybody was like that imagine if the whole world was like that well if i can't be the best then i'm not going to do it nothing would get done you've got to do something because you enjoy it at some point 
like here's the thing would you rather have a billion dollars doing something you hate and are miserable with or would you rather be broke and happy at the end of the day everybody's going to say i'd rather be broke and happy i mean obviously want to have a billion dollars and be happy but the thing is is billion dollars isn't and if you think a billion dollars is going to make you happy i'm sorry to say there is an entire dump truck load of psychological research that disagrees with you. To people like that, what I would say is like, look, ask yourself, what in my life, what is there in my life that's worth doing for no other reason than I enjoy doing it? And start there. Because like, you have to find something that you care about and enjoy for no other reason than you care about and enjoy it. That has to be good enough. If you don't enjoy doing something, then why bother? That's what I say. That's a much better question. But I find it to be much easier. Like I had some ex-colleagues who would, you know, every time we're on bonus, they would complain, oh, you know, this year is going to suck. You know, well, what the fuck? Where's our money? And then, and then they just stay until the next year and they just play a victim. Because I think it's, like, it's almost easier in some way to do that than to be honest with yourself and say, hey, you know, I'm not happy. I want to change my life. Right? Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, there's, it, playing victim is very, very seductive. Uh, and you see it everywhere, you know, not just jobs and with money and family relationships and marriages and, and all sorts of things. Because when you feel it, when you play victim, it basically, it allows you to feel important or entitled without actually having to do anything. I would be a billionaire if society would let me, or, you know, I would, my, I would have a happy marriage if my husband stopped being such a fuck up. So in some ways you're putting the responsibility not on yourself, right? Exactly. You're, totally avoiding the responsibility. It, you're basically, what you're doing is you're, you're mortgaging your long-term responsibility to change your life slightly better in the short term. So all those guys who are complaining about the bonuses, saying it sucks, you know, I don't want to work here or whatever, they're making themselves feel a little bit better in that moment. But by doing so, they're relinquishing their ability to change their situation in the long term. I see. So they're getting off the sense that when everyone's at lunch and it's their turn to speak, they can complain about why bonus is sucking. And it's that couple, like 10, 20 seconds where they can vent. That's making them feel special is what you're getting at, right? Yeah. You know, because when, when we feel victimized, it makes us feel important. It makes us feel unique. It makes us feel like something unfair has happened to me. Basically, it's a way to save face. It's a way to say, I'm not happy with my life situation, but I'm going to say it's not my fault and therefore I don't have to do anything about it. Wow. It's like how many buddies do you know that are, you know, getting together on a Friday night, going to drinks and then just complaining about life and it's those 20s, it's, it's like, I'm sure you get these emails, right? It's like, you know, I'm going to email Mark Manson, you know, tell him about the situation I'm having and how it sucks and really it's when I click send, that's that feeling I get that I'm feeling important that, you know, it's going to go to Mark's inbox, he might see it and reply to me. And It is part of human nature. I mean, we all do it. We all like to play the victim at times. I mean, we, we were just talking before the interview started. I'm getting a little bit fed up with, with living in Vietnam. And um, it's easy for me to sit here and be like, oh, yeah, it's so chaotic and, you know, feel so alienated and blah, blah, blah. Like, we fashion ourselves victims all the time. At a certain point, you have to accept responsibility for the situation you're in. If you're complaining about your job year after year after year, and feel like you're the victim year after year after year, then either stop being the victim and do something else or stop complaining about it. It's really that simple. All right, but then this brings me to my next point. You know, I would change my situation, but I can't because of you know, rent, bills, kids. And, and on the surface, they are legit, but on a deeper level, these are just excuses too, right? Here's the thing. No matter how bad a situation is, it can always be better. 
And I think the mistake that people make here is that they expect perfection all at once. So it's like, again, it comes back to that pro- process versus event. Like they look at the outcome, say, say after seven years worth of work, and they don't see the whole process. So they, they look at like a really successful, you know, e-commerce store that's been built over the course of five years. And they think, well, or, or, even, or even our friend like Dan Andrews and Ian, right? I mean, people, a lot of people look up to them like, wow, these are the guys that the last I want to look for. Right? Yeah. So. And they think, oh, I can't do that. I've got debt. I've got kids. If you look at any sort of stuff about personal finance or managing debt or managing rent expenses, I mean, you can financially plan this stuff. The human mind is, it, we're just so biased towards like focusing on end results and not focusing on process. If you read up on some of this stuff, like you see that simply rearranging your debt, your finances, planning more carefully, planning your expenses more carefully, over the course of three years, you can eat away and eliminate these problems. It just requires you to, to make little sacrifices each month. But the thing is, is that's also true for the business as well. Like your first business idea isn't going to be a success. Your second one isn't either. Your third, your fourth, your fifth. But you have to go through those business ideas. There's some quote that I heard once in another context, but, but I, I think it applies really well here. It's, like, it's basically like you should assume that like your 50th business idea is going to be the one that makes you rich. So you might as well get through the first 49 as quickly as possible. Like that's the attitude you kind of have to take. Like this, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's also like how everyone's, they say, you know, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a more brutal way to say it. Cause like, cause it's, it's hard, you know, when you're living a lifestyle, say, you know, you're making hundred K, but you're spending 120 and they, you know, say no to your friends. Like, Hey, I can't go to drinks on Friday cause I'm trying to pay off my debt and, you know, not going out to eat or just cutting down, you know, shit you don't need. Like. But then it goes back to, you know, how important do you want this, right? How important is this to you and how much prioritizing are you putting on this to change your life? Right. And also taking the, the, the wider perspective, saying in the grand scheme of my life is turning down the drinks on Friday for six months really that big of a deal? Like what's more, what's more important in the grand scheme of my life, what's more important, turning down going out and drinking for a year or ridding myself of all my debt? in two years. Yeah, one thing that, re- that really bugs me is that when I see friends or ex-colleagues like, yeah, you know, I want to start a business, uh, you know, quit my job, do whatever. And then the next Friday, they're like out watching TV or at a movie and you're like, you're like, really? <laughs> 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 and like, and for the longest time, I would try to convince them, prod them in the right, but I realized I'm just wasting my energy because it needs to come from a change they need inside their own, their own head first. Right, it, it comes back to that, that internal motivation, that internal validation again. You don't put forth the amount of effort, time and effort necessary to do this unless there's something deep within yourself that, that wants it. Yeah, and, and like I was saying earlier, like my hospital experience, like you almost need some kind of like really life-changing paradigm shifting event too, right? Is that what, kind of what happened in your case too? I had, I had an event early on that really just kind of changed changed my perspective on life in general. I had a friend who died when I was 19 and it, it was a sudden and tragic death and I was there and it, and it had a very, very strong effect on me. I didn't have anything in particular that spurred me to, to start my own business. I, I think in a lot of ways, I had been kind of countercultural and independent earlier in my life. You know, sometimes I get emails from people saying like, I really, really want to start a business, but I don't have that internal motivation. How do I get it? And that's a perfect example of the kind of question that like, I can't or you can't answer. You know, I can't, I can't tell you what's going to change your life priorities. And also because success is singular too. Like what's working for you and, you know, say Dan Andrews or anyone we know is not going to work for someone else because everyone's path is so different too. Right. And also 
it coming back to the first item that we talked about, consider the fact that maybe you just like the idea of being an entrepreneur and that if you, if you've wanted to be one for three years and you haven't done anything, maybe you're more attached to the idea than the actual living it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. And so, uh, number seven, the final one, this one came from the four hour work week uh, when I read it. And there was one chapter where he talks about, uh, I think he's in Brazil. He's like surfing kind of like what you did probably, you know, a couple years ago. And he has a friend who comes on this tour and then he's like, Oh, I wish I could do this. But then he says, you know what? I just can't throw it all away. <laughs> so, so where does this come from? Because some people get so scared of changing their whole life scripts. And like, what, what is this issue rooted in? I mean, you would call it, I guess, kind of a, a scarcity mindset. My, my reply to, if somebody said that to me, my, my, my reply would be, okay, but what's stopping you from, from getting it back? I think a misconception that a lot of people have when they want to make the leap, which is that, oh, if I do this, there's no turning back. You know, it's like burn the boats or whatever. But it's in a lot of people's cases, it's like, okay, worst case scenario, you go back home, you get back on your feet, you pick up another day job. Sure, you, you, you're you going to be a couple of years behind on the career ladder or whatever. Or sure, maybe the job you pick up when you go back isn't as nice as the one you left. Again, on a long enough timeline, how big of a sacrifice is that really? In a span of like a 40-year career, how big of a sacrifice is really is giving up one to two years of your life to find out if you can live completely differently and if it's right for you. I don't even agree with the premise to begin with, the idea that you're throwing anything away. You're assuming nothing comes back too, right? Because you're throwing something away, you're not getting anything back too. Right, exactly. You're assuming that you know if you do try to become an entrepreneur and you fail, that that is therefore worthless and has no value. Whereas the best life experiences happen when you fail. You know, like you talked about the, you know, this, the guy in the hospital who died like, and how big of an effect that had on you. The most powerful events in our lives tend to be negative events. They tend to be the business that failed. They tend to be the friend or loved one who, who died or the person, uh, the relationship that ended. Like these tend to have the biggest and most influential influential effects on our lives teach us our most important lessons make us better people yeah i just disagree with the premise all over the place yeah like going back to that story i remember i was at the hospital that night and i thought to myself man you know if i don't change something and i'm like in his position like the amount of regret i would feel like I, it was just unimaginable i was like no fuck this i gotta do something and kind of that's what's been the driver ever since and it wasn't from like an unhealthy sense that you know i'm not happy but i I, what I try to do is turn it into a positive situation that, you know, you're going to this new direction. You can, you don't know what's going on. I don't even know what's going to happen like two months from now. Right? But you yeah. just hack it away as, as you go along. And kind of think a lot of people look at, you know, successful people like you, Dan Andrews, you know, John Myers, all our acquaintances like, hey, you know, these guys have figured it out. But like the more you talk to them, like, no, they're, you know, some of them don't even know what they're doing the next month. Right? I mean, do you know even where you're going to be six <laughs> months from now? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, I, I sometimes joke with people. I'm like, yeah, I, I didn't know what I, I was doing and still don't know what I'm doing, but it, I just a little bit less not knowing what I'm doing. I, I don't know what's necessary for my business to grow right now. And I didn't know five years ago. The only way I find out is I try stuff and see what happens. And then I try something else and I see what happens. And that's a process that is never going to end, both in my business and in my personal life. Yeah, and I think it's easy that you know we have these platforms, like say, like a blog, podcast, video show. Like it's easy to see these people online and make it seem like they figured it out because they're you know talking to people about it. And I think a big issue is that hey, you know, sometimes we don't know what we're doing either. So you know, don't worry about it. We're all in the same boat. It's just a matter of you know putting your head down and 
kind of doing the work. Exactly. Uh, awesome. And so to wrap up a little bit, um, you know, we're talking, going to really deep issues here. We probably still go on for like another hour. So, you know, since you've been writing about self-development for a long time, one thing you talked about was really it's about being honest with yourself, right? And so, like, what do you say to the people who kind of are struggling with that and really can't, you know, find it, like it's painful when you're doing that to yourself, right? Like when you're honest with yourself, it's like, wow, like I'm actually really not a good person in some ways and I have mistakes here and there, I have kinks in my armor, maybe some insecurity issues. Like how, do you, how does someone become honest with themselves and do that? I think there's two important things to remember. It's interesting. I'm actually, I'm writing a new book right now. And what I'm about to say is actually kind of the big focus uh, of what I'm, what I'm writing at the moment. And, and it's two big misconceptions that we have. The first one is, is the assumption that just because something is painful or negative is like a negative experience, that it therefore must be bad. Uh, I think it's really important especially in, in a society as complex as ours is now, to disassemble that, that assumption. To understand that just because something is unpleasant or doesn't feel good, makes us feel insecure or pain or, or vulnerability, that it, it's necessarily bad and that we don't want to experience it. Because as I said earlier, life's most influential moments tend to be negative moments. And it's important to not avoid that or not fight that so that you can take advantage of it and, and learn from it. The second thing I would say is that the other big misconception is that a lot of people, uh, when it comes to kind of experiencing these negative emotions, being honest with yourself, you know, admitting your faults, admitting your flaws, we have a tendency to become a little bit solipsistic, which means that we tend to start believing that it's just us. We're the only one. So it's like if I have a deep insecurity about my relationships or my intelligence and I start experiencing that insecurity, it's human nature for me to assume that I'm the only one who experiences that. Everybody else out there is completely comfortable with their intelligence and their decision making. It's just me. I'm the stupid one. I'm the one who can't get over it. The fact of the matter is, is that's just not true. Like we all have these deep insecurities and these, these flaws that we don't want to look at. I think one great thing about the internet is that it, it's allowing us to all become more aware of that, to become more aware that we're not the only ones who struggle through this. For people who talk about these topics like you and I, it's almost obligatory for to kind of have like a, an article about, you know, your quit your job, start your business experience. So I have, I have an article on my site about my experience and I intentionally made the focus of it to talk about the terror like how terrifying it was, how upsetting it was, like how I couldn't sleep at night. You know, some people see that and they're like, wow, you're really going to demotivate people and, and they're not going to want to do it. And my experience is the opposite. And, and I take the opposite philosophy is that it's the people who say, and I, and I hate to say it, but I feel like Tim Ferriss is kind of like this, like, hey, it's easy. Just do these four things and you'll have an automated business and make passive income. Like when they make it seem so effortless, and so easy that you, you know, everybody would be dumb not to do it. That's actually what creates so much of this pain. That's what creates so much of this anxiety in people out there who are like, wow, it seems really daunting and difficult for me, but Tim Ferriss makes it sound so easy. Like maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe I'm just not one of those people who can do this. And so I, I make a really conscious focus on saying like, this is fucking terrifying. <laughs> like you are turning your, your life 
upside down, you are probably going to alienate some people that were friends with you. Um, you're going to be taking risks. Your life's going to be changing. It's okay to be terrified by that. Like that's normal. Everybody goes through it. Everybody feels it. You're not alone. You can talk to people about it. And just when you confront it from that point of view, it makes it easier for people to take on. Like they don't feel, they're not like, oh, so I'm not an idiot. I'm not weird. I'm not deficient. I'm like everybody else. Like they did it too. Maybe I can do it. Yeah, like it goes back to surrounding yourself with the right people. But also before we get into that, it's like when you read the four hour work week and like two chapters are about how he hated his business. And then the next 10 are him you know, running around Argentina, China, Brazil. Like you, you get to feel like, okay, if I can't figure this out in a year like he did, like, is there something wrong with me? Like, am I just not cut out for this? And I think when you realize that kind of like in the DC, you know, there are people who are still kind of figuring this out. And after you realize that, hey, you know, some people are doing this two years, still figuring it out. Like, it's, it's not that bad. Yeah, it, it's, it's a different world too. I think the reason why Ferris is kind of a bad model for a lot of people now is that he started in like 2002, 2001. The internet was completely different back then. I mean, it was like a gold rush. It was, you could get Google, you could buy Google AdWords for like two cents a click. And it, I mean, it was just the numbers from people who were around back then, if you talk to them, like the numbers are stupid. And by the way, everybody who was around back then is a millionaire now. So I think it's a poor model. I think it's, you know, you have to look at what's going on right now. And, and yeah, it's, that's one reason I love Dan Andrews' um, thousand day rule. Like as soon as I saw that, I'm like, that is, that's awesome. And it basically it's like from the day you quit your day job and start your own business, you can expect it to take a thousand days to reach the same quality of living that you left. And that is, that's awesome on so many levels. It, it's awesome in that it shows you, it lays out a proper expectation. It lays out a nice metric to follow, provides a nice kind of guidepost of like saying like, hey, this is, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You don't have to do this in the next two months. There's a section where he says, oh, is my website hacked? Is my stuff going down? It's like what you said earlier when your scripts on your website were broken and your provider saying, hey, man, we can't put much traffic to you. So Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is, it's, you know, you've been like in your like, what, your 3,000 days or something now and you're still seeing those things come up. Uh, yeah, happens all the time. I, I threw, I wrote 100 pages of a book uh, this summer and then I threw the entire thing away because I was like, <laughs> this is, <laughs> I, I, I was like, this is not what I should be writing. It, you know, so it never stops. The uncertainty never stops. So uh, it's okay to put up with it. You should get used to putting up with it. Learn to enjoy it. Learn to, to laugh about it. You know, like you and I are now. Yeah. Awesome. Right, one more thing before I let you go, because I think we're kind of deep in this conversation. There is an interesting thing you wrote about on your website. Uh, you're saying how insecurity is a lack of investment in yourself, right? When you're depending on other people's vision, kind of thoughts on you. So like, what's the solution to that? So the, the solution is to, so like I said earlier, um, depending on other people's, seeking other people's approval, that never goes away. That's an innate part of the human condition. What has to be built yourself is that ability to motivate yourself internally, to validate yourself internally. And the best starting place I, I usually give to people is, I actually mentioned it in passing earlier in, in the podcast, is uh, the best starting place is ask yourself, what is the one thing that I enjoy doing for no other reason than I enjoy doing it? Initially, it's going to be a really superficial answer. You know, it, it can be something as simple as like, listening to loud music, playing video games on my Xbox or, um, you know, shooting bow and arrow in the woods, whatever it is, it's important for each one of us to find that and, and to start 
pursuing that and then also pursue other things like that. Because what happens to so many of us is that, you know, we get so much pressure from society and people growing up that you have to spend all of your time getting good grades, getting into a good university, getting a high paying job, getting promoted, buying a new car, buying a new house, you know, all these things that we sacrifice all of those internally motivated activities and passions to, to fulfill those external desires. And you, what you, you need a balance between the two. You need to balance external success with, with internal pleasure and, and passion. Another way I frame it sometimes to people is I say, okay, if you had to live the rest of your life on a desert island and you could take one activity with you, what would it be? And it's, it's difficult for people to, to answer that. It's not an easy question. Yeah, like it sounds really hippy-dippy, but what I've found is that you just keep asking yourself why. So for example, like say, you know, why do you want to quit your job? Well, because I want to, you know, have financial freedom to do whatever I want. Well, why is that important is, you know, because maybe I like traveling yeah. the world. Well, why is traveling the world important to you? Well, because, you know, there's all these places you want to visit. And so well, why is it important to visit that? Because, well, if you come down there, it's like, you know, you only live in this world once and you got one chance to see it. And when you miss it, it's gone, right? And like, like when it's something that powerful, you're like, wow, like that's when it really hits you, I think. And I think it's a matter of finding that, not just necessarily from some like, hey, I like Xbox, because it's very superficial at that level, right? But when you dig deeper by right. asking why, I think that's the process I found that helps with me. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you you completed my answer perfectly. Actually, it, and it reminds me of, um, I actually, you know, you mentioned Dan and Ian earlier. I actually, the first time I met Ian, I talked to him about this because I, I went to the, a DC event and I was going to give a talk on passion. And like one of the first things that Ian said to me is he was like, I'm not really a fan of talks about passion. <laughs> I'm like, sweet, nice to meet you. And um, he told me point blank, he's like, you know, I don't really think my business is built on passion. And I said, I, I don't believe that for a second. And so I asked him, I said, well, do you love your job? And he said, yeah, I love my job. And I said, okay, well, what do you love about it? For people who don't know, their job is they make portable bars and cat furniture and they manufacture all these different, differently designed products. And I was like, I, I, I assume you're not passionate about portable bars. And he's like, no, I really don't care. And uh, I said, well, you know, what part of the process do you love doing? Like, what, what's the job? What part of the job do you, when you start doing it, you suddenly look up and like five hours have gone by and you forgot to eat? And he's like, oh, dude, design. It's like industrial design. Like I could do it all day, all night and just completely forget about it. I'm like, there you go. That's your passion. Like it doesn't even, doesn't even matter what you're making. You're making cat furniture. You don't even own a cat. Like it's, you he did own a cat, right? Not in Vietnam anymore or wherever he is now. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's what matters. It's the process. It's the act. It's the creative, like the finding where uh, engineering meets you know, aesthetics, that's what drives him. That's what, that's what he cares about. And I would say that, you know, even if you're listening to this, like, sounds like his passion is really taking an idea and creating it into something physically in this world, right? Not necessarily whatever he's creating, but the process of taking something in his head, putting it on paper, getting it made, and actually seeing it in front of you. I think that's probably what drives him too, so... Absolutely. All right, so I guess we're going to wrap up now. We've been here for almost an hour and a half. <laughs> All right. So, I talk a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right, so listeners, you guys can find out more about Mark Manson. Check out his articles and books over at markmanson.net. And Mark, how else can we connect with you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm, I am Mark Manson on Twitter. And then uh, I'm also on Facebook. So facebook.com slash markmansonnet. Um, no period. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Mark, thanks so much uh, for the chat. Got to do this in person sometimes. So uh, we'll try to touch a base again later this year. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man, take care. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. If you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like your cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week. Peace.